Hey, welcome back to the Coffee Trading Academy podcast as we kick off episode three. In today's show, we talk with special guest and Brazil coffee expert Tiago Casarini of Casarini Trading. We cover his background in the interview, but he is a physical coffee broker based out of Virginia in the heart of the coffee growing region of Brazil. We often talk about how Brazil is the most essential of coffee origins, and this year it is particularly important. Chago had a front row seat to the frost and drought that occurred this year, and just as importantly, he's an essential conduit between producers, roasters, and the trade. So he is equally tapped into the fundamentals of coffee and the sentiment of coffee participants. He provides us with some key insight into the crop forecasting, logistical issues, and the local currency that are all at the center of today's journey into coffee price discovery. All right. So I have here with me today, uh, Chiago Casarini, uh, the famous from uh, Casarini Trading Company, um, who I'm uh, pleased to, uh, to have today. We've been chatting a lot uh, over the last uh, year or two uh, online, and we, we, we even got a chance to briefly meet before the pandemic, I think. <laughs> um, so, uh, not, uh, not much more. I don't know. Are you still going to, are you still going to uh, conventions? No, my friend, I think it's been the exactly two years that I don't attend anything physically. I've been doing the virtual events like the Switzerland one. Yeah. Uh, uh, in Brazil, they are trying to host in May next year uh, our national convention in Guarujá. Hmm. Uh, um, oh, yeah, that's a fun I mean, one. It, it is uh, already scheduled, hmm. but, you know, the world is changing quickly, so we need to... to wait and see absolutely and um and I, I know you do a pizza thing so i'm gonna ask you about that in a second but let me finish introducing you real quick uh so um chago is a uh, well-known broker well-respected broker with a great pedigree uh from brazil based out of brazil um he's trading physical coffee uh, he also writes a uh, a report that he distributes on a weekly basis uh, that's very good, um, very objective. It's one of the things I, I really like about about you, Tiago, is that um, you're not afraid to say your mind and and you're also not emotional, which is something that uh, we're not overly emotional, <laughs> uh, which is something that's difficult in this market. Uh, so thank you very much. I appreciate you uh, coming here uh, for this. Well, thank you uh, for the words. I think uh, being a broker, we need to, to act like that. We need to be impartial. Uh, people expect uh, you to read the market, not the market prices, but what's happening. And since Brazil is the biggest, the most important origin, mm. um, I think we need to be careful uh, on what we say. We don't want to mislead people. we rather be uh, useful for their uh, strategies and... Uh, uh, we need to choose the words and uh, talk uh, what we see. Exactly. We cannot uh, invent, we cannot create scenarios that doesn't exist. So I think people really appreciate being um, very brief comments uh, on what's happening. And that's it. Yeah, you know, I think it's one thing and we're going to get into your background here in a second, but just, you know, kind of vibing off of what you said, you know, it's one thing that I've found in these conversations and in my career as a coffee trader as well is, you know, how important trust is, right? 
coffee is such a it's a people uh, business, right? It's all about knowing people, and I think that's one thing that you do in your reports and in uh, in your persona is you you engender trust uh, through these kind of honest conversations. But um, I did want to get into your background. You have kind of a, a non traditional background for um, for a Brazilian coffee trader. Uh, so do you want to talk a little bit about that and how you got into the business? Exactly. Uh, I'm, I don't come from a traditional coffee family. We are not uh, coffee farmers or anything. I was born and raised in a small south of Minas town. I moved to Virginia when I needed to work and go to college. I was 17 years old and my uncle, the man who married my aunt, mm. he is and he, uh, he was and still is a domestic market broker. He offered to help me, so I started working for him, doing coffee basics, okay. like roasting, learning the grades, helping doing some contracts, inputting some contracts, and other tasks for beginners. Hmm. I spent one year there uh, before moving to the United States for internship, not coffee-related at all. Uh, to be honest, I didn't like coffee as a teenager. <laughs> when I started working with coffee, I started drinking with a lot of sugar. So uh, the year was 2004 hmm. when I moved to United States. I lived in Yosemite. Uh, you can then tell me I was a, a bear. <laughs> You're a real <laughs> California bear. bear. <laughs> but, you know, it's, uh, it was an amazing experience from people all over the world. It's a beautiful place to be. And then I moved to New York, uh, hmm. working in restaurants, Dunkin' Donuts, uh, as funny as that is. <laughs> Uh, almost 24 seven shifts. Uh, I really needed to survive in the city. But then at the end of that year, I found an opportunity in Evo Cafe in New Jersey with mm. uh, Mr. John Demiria that uh, the market, the industry knows very well. Yeah. Um, there I run a little bit of the coffee lab, follow up with some logistics, checking inventories in warehouses. Mm. So it, for me, uh, at the end of the year was a much better use of my time. Yeah. Not that in Yosemite, I was not, you know, getting experience. It was more like a life experience than coffee. Um, in total, I lived one year uh, abroad. So when I returned, I joined my uncle's office again. Uh, and later, I worked for other brokers, other the exporters in different roles and business models. Uh, and then after my time at Atlantica Coffee, that mm. uh, it's also a reputable company. Yeah, I was well. mm -hmm. as an assistant trader. Uh, after leaving, I decided to start my own international brokerage company in mm. 2009, and I'm still here. It's, uh, you know, I had a, a, uh, a friend who told me once, a mentor, he said, Ryan, coffee's a jealous mistress. You, you think you're going to leave and you never do. You always come back. So it's kind of funny how uh, uh, you, 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 you thought you were getting away from coffee, I guess, when you went to the U.S. and somehow uh, it, it called you back. Um, I always had the curiosity uh, about, you know, all the cultures, all the countries. I always had interest in, in English as a, hmm. as a language. Uh, but yes, I mean, once you start in coffee, I'm pretty sure that many times we want to quit. Uh, maybe <laughs> because the market is relentless, maybe because we get frustrated about things that happens. But I think that every industry has its challenges, things that we like, things that we don't like. But it's very rare to see people leaving coffee once mm. they get started. I mean, that's true. Of course, it happens. But yeah. most of the people that start, they, they, they stick with the, the industry. That's true. 
Um, and uh, it's also uh, this was the first time hearing when I when I saw your email here that uh, that you work with John DeMuria, too, which is interesting. Um, he's a really good guy. I got to know him a little bit when I was at uh, EDF Man. Um, and he's one of those, you know, there's a lot of different personalities in the coffee industry, uh, but he's one of those guys, um, that is very humble and, uh, he will, I, I said to, I was having dinner with him and, and his wife at, at one of these conventions. And I said, you know, uh, even, you know, your husband is an important guy, but he talks to everybody as if they're important too. He doesn't talk down to, to anybody. What what you are mentioning about him, it's totally true, uh, 200% true. Mm. And to be humble in this business, uh, in my experience, that's a key. Uh, you, you learn, you learn every day, you learn every crop. Uh, there's a lot of people involved in the business, uh, people that uh, does loading of coffees in um, containers and people mm. that are roasting it. Uh, People that are hedging the whole thing, uh, but once you are, you have disposal to talk to people to see what they are thinking, what they see, how they see it. Uh, it helps you. It helps you making your own mind, and uh, that's one key of success in in coffee business. Not never think that you have learned it all. <laughs> you are always learning. Yeah, the the time when you that you uh, you think you've learned it all is when you uh, you're wrong, right? <laughs> like riding a, a motorbike, right? When you mm. think you got it right, you speed it up and then you crash. Yeah, you get cocky. That's right. <laughs> um, very cool. So I just wanted to give you uh, thank you for that. I wanted to just give you a chance to to talk a bit about more about what you're doing now uh, about Casarini Trading Company. Um, you know what your role is there, uh, what it's what it's like working there, and and what the services you're providing. This is a, a, a position that it's a, an old position, I would say. Uh, there's a lot of internal market brokers for the domestic market, uh, plenty of it. And it's uh, something that uh, grand grandfathers used it to do. Uh, it, basically in Santos, uh, it was the concentration of everything, Rio de Janeiro in the past. But now I think uh, Virginia has become a center point of the coffee industry. Uh, a lot of companies have moved to Virginia, uh, exporters, multinationals, uh, brokers, roasters. They're all in Virginia. Right. And basically, but not simply, my role, my role is to be a trustable link between buyer and seller. But why, why you are needed? Why you are needed, Tiago? People have a, they have a cell phone. They have the contacts. The information is there. They can talk to each other. Yes, yeah. I agree. I, I would even go for, for, uh, beyond and say that uh, a broker is a kind of a disposable uh, bridge in the, in the business. Mm. But once you are uh, knowledgeable about the market, you have good connections, good contacts. Um, I think it's something that people really uh, are keen to use. Yeah. So what I do, I, I'm not focused on the domestic market on daily activities. Uh, of course, I do a little bit of domestic market, but most of my business, physical business, they are for overseas destinations. Uh, and when I say trustable link, uh, it's more complex than, than it sounds. Uh, closing deals is not the hardest part. It's just a matter of, of pricing. 
I think people uh, expect me to prevent unnecessary problems, mm -hmm. follow up with everything that happens after we say done deal. So that means from sending of free shipment samples to check the quality until coffee arrives to the client's warehouses. But not only that, I like to think of myself as someone to help dismystify noises from real information, especially in nowadays world when uh, information is widespread to anyone with a good data or internet connection. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that information can be, can be only distraction. So being trusted requires knowledge and transparency. That's uh, what we try to, to, to do and uh, to get more professional every day. And as I said, learning every day, every crop. Yeah. Um, well, it's, uh, I can see from what you do that um, you're always trying to add value. Um, which I think is important, right? If you're going to be someone sort of in between, um, you know, you know, the, they say the word entrepreneur means to to take from in between, right? You you take a little bit some from the buyer, you take a little bit from the seller, and you and you add value somehow in between, right? And I guess that's what we're all trying to do if you're if you're going to be in business, right? Um, and uh, you know, same with me. I'm you know I'm my job is not necessary either, right? Someone could, uh, you can do your own analysis. You should do your own analysis. Uh, you can do your own training. Um, but we just try to add value where we can. And if people, you know, see value in that, then they use us, I guess, right? Yes, I mean, we have to create this, this value. We always have to think uh, what people are thinking of us. So why do mm. I need Tiago? Why do I need Ryan? You know, I can easily contact anyone that I want. You know, uh, that's the that's the world. I, uh, even even for us, if you want to try to, you know, adventure into other business, I want to trade cotton, I want to trade ethanol or whatever. You have contacts, you have, you have LinkedIn, <laughs> you, yep. you can find people, you can, you know, hmm. do some research. In the past, it was a little bit more difficult. So when we ask this question, why people need me, uh, uh, we need to, to provide value. Hmm. And I think uh, when you have knowledge about the market, you know what's going on. You know how to filter information. I think people will say, okay, uh, even though I can do business directly, even though if I'm paying commission uh, rates, you know, uh, I think uh, it's a value, uh, added value to my business. So uh, that's what we try to do. Yeah. Uh, of course, we, we get clients, we lose clients. Uh, we try not to. Uh, <laughs> we, are, we, are not, we are not perfect. Uh, that's something that I've learned. Uh, that uh, sometimes we make mistakes, sure. but uh, you don't make mistakes if you are not working. Uh, if you, uh, I mean, if yeah, you are I mean, nothing, then have no mistakes. You have yeah. nothing to do. Exactly. Nothing, nothing ventured, nothing gained, right? You have to, you have to try at, uh, the hard same, At the same time, we understand that we cannot uh, continuously make mistakes because mm -hmm. making mistakes, a lot of times it may, it, it means uh, losing money. You know, are creating right. costs. So that's where professionally, professional, uh, yeah, professionalism. At. Yeah. Yes, we, we can we uh, try to avoid uh, these uh, these things, and um, of course, I mean, we we will present clients solutions rather than problems. Yeah. Good. Um, well, it's interesting, uh, and we're going to jump onto the Brazil crop in a second. But uh, you know, it actually just reminds me that you know, being a broker is very similar to being a trader, right? You've done both of those jobs and people say the same thing about the trade. They say, you know, this, I, as long as I've been in the industry, 
I've heard people saying, oh, we want to cut out the trade, you know, direct to farmer, farmer to roaster, you know, cut out the middleman and, you know, the trade doesn't add any value. Um, but that doesn't really make sense because the, the trade, just like you, the trade has to justify their value constantly as well. And uh, it does add a lot of value. If you're a roaster somewhere in, uh, in, in Europe or in the US or in Canada, um, you can't know all of the farmers in Brazil nearly as well as they can know you. Right. And then uh, then they have that connection and they have that interactability. And the same thing, you can't there's no accountability. If you have, you know, 50 suppliers, uh, there's no accountability there. Um, and, and what you talked about with making mistakes is, is really it's about accountability. Right. Uh, if you make yeah, a mistake, I mean, then people will hold you accountable for it. If uh, you are right, I mean, I will I will be defending my work less uh, by saying, OK, don't cut out brokers. <laughs> But that, that happens a lot. I mean, mm. there are situations that we start uh, some relationships and then people decide why, why should I, you know, keep using it? Uh, now I have the context, I have the relationship. Mm. I mean, of course, we, we always try not to, to, to face it, but that happens. Yeah. So uh, like you said, specifically for Brazil, it's a big, it's a huge origin. Uh, not not knowing uh, the 250,000 producers that we have in Brazil, uh, I mean, but knowing the players, the exporters involved, mm -hmm. uh, people, we, we want to reduce risk uh, at the end. That That's what we also aim to do. So we know what's happening. We try always to, to keep the information uh, confidential. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that's also another key of success as being a broker. Just, you know, stick to the ethics. Uh, right. Protect your clients, you know, keep confidentiality. Um, and uh, you know that sometimes certain players, they are facing some difficulties. Hmm. So it's your job not to create, uh, not to create a snowball. If you know that hmm. company A, it's a little bit against the market, the market's against them or, or something like this, you try to um, uh, reduce risk for, for them and also for uh, buyers, you know. Exactly. Or, or vice versa, or for a seller or for a buyer. Mm -hmm. It can be, each of them can be, uh, uh, you know, uh, in, um, you know, how you say? Yeah, like uh, financial troubles or... Uh, yeah, financial, not, not only that, but situations that it's better to, to give them space to breathe, you know, not mm -hmm. trying to do more business. Right. As a broker, we want the most business we can get. That's, mm -hmm. that's uh, natural. Uh, I would be lying. If I tell you, okay, I want to do a thousand bags a month, that's enough for me. I mean, yeah. we want to do much more yeah. <laughs> we can get. Um, so at some time, it's very, uh, it's better, safer, or the most uh, reasonable decision to say less is more. Uh, when you are beginning as a broker, you want to keep piling up contracts. That's yeah. what you want to do. You want to see things happening. But I think that uh, the, the brokerage companies that are long-lasting in Brazil, we all come to a place that we say doing less is more. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to do less, but we, we caution uh, being secure that people will fulfill contracts, people will sell, and people will pay, and, uh, and, and things will keep moving. Uh, so that, that's what we see in some of the competition. They, they uh, don't focus too much uh, mm. on um, uh, getting knowledge about the business and to be 
making decisions based on uh, security of the clients. They, uh, most of the time, uh, the, the people that start in the business, they want to think for themselves or what is better for them. Right. But what is better for your clients, that's what will keep you going forward. Exactly. It's kind of long-term thinking. And, you know, when do you have to make some sacrifices in the short term for the, the, the bigger picture? Um, but, um, you know, we, we've been talking a lot about, you know, your relationships and, and you know, the, the people that you've met and, the, you know, the consumers uh, that you, that you um, are facilitating relationships with in, in, uh, abroad and, and the producers uh, locally. So uh, one thing I did want to ask you about, because you have such good visibility on this, is, is your outlook on the Brazil crop. Um, and, and I know we, we touched on this a little bit, but, you know, uh, with the past crop, uh, the current crop, the next crop, uh, I see the pictures on social media of you flying on, on planes and, and going out, going around the, the country and, and checking it out. So, so what do you think? There's a lot been going on the uh, last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, talking about Brazilian crops, it's always difficult because, as mentioned before, Brazil is huge. Yeah. It's huge. There's plenty of land. Uh, plenty of plen uh, plentiful <laughs> lands and uh, people will uh, expand uh, crops of uh, every kind. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about coffee, it's uh, tricky because it's um, one plus one. It's not always two. <laughs> That's uh, uh, not uh, so easy to, right. to pin uh, numbers and, uh, you know, uh, saying 100 uh, uh, percent accuracy. Uh, but let's start uh, not so uh, long ago and not going too forward because I think that's also impossible to predict crops uh, much ahead of our sure. time. Uh, so last, last year, 2020, uh, people, most of the people uh, think it, it was 70 million bags. Uh, I have uh, many reasons to think that it's rather 75 instead of 70 millions. Mm. And uh, I haven't seen much of revisions being made uh, for that, but I, I think it's worth to talk about it when we see things happening and when we have more certainty of uh, what happened or, right. or what will happen. So uh, for next year, I had a good perspective. Uh, as you know, I'm always trying to circulate around my own area here hmm. in Virginia, South Minas. But we do have clients in Cerrado, Zona da Mata, Espírito Santo, Paraná, so uh, Bahia. Mm. We uh, trust those sources. Of course, everyone, uh, every client has their own position. So right. there's always be uh, some kind of interest when talking numbers. Yeah. Sure. And uh, that's the market. Uh, we cannot fight it. We cannot judge it. Uh, but we try to, to filter and to come to numbers that uh, make more sense from what we see and from what we hear from mm. our own sources. So I had a good perspective for next year, and I still do, uh, but I was really aiming around 65, 67 million bags for next right. year. But that was before the extended uh, period without rains. It lasted several months and before frost. Uh, we, we, we cannot just close our eyes from uh, what happened. There was a good impact, uh, mm. a decent impact to consider. So I think that it was jeopardized. The, the, the potential for next year, we lost it, uh, a good portion of it, and also for 2023, if not 2024. Right. A lot of pruning, 
uh, uh, some frost, some areas were really severely hit, something that I didn't see in a long, long time. Mm. Um, so, I mean, uh, we, I'm not expecting uh, that same number for next year. I can't really see anything above 60 million bags anymore. Right. Uh, some people are still um, still uh, forcing a number above 60 million bags. Mm. And there are some extremes saying 50 million bags. There is a, I've talked yeah. about it before. Mm. Uh, but uh, my own number, Tiago's number, it's not uh, great beyond 60 million bags. Yeah, uh, uh, flowering. Flowering was visually incredible. Uh, we we were surprised, to be honest. After all the, the dryness and uh, the frost, the flowering was it was like cotton. It was uh, very good to see. But then we it's like frost. We need to give it some time to check uh, what happens after. And the fixations of the the flowerings it wasn't that great in some yeah. properties. Uh, with proper care, you know, good conditions, you know, uh, spending the money that needed to be spent to take care of the, the farm, uh, we, we heard from 30 to 50% loss. Not wow. everything. This is not the national average uh, of, of loss. Right. Uh, but it happened in many... In in some many, farms. Yeah, in some farms. And uh, I think it's, uh, that's more or less what I see for next year. And for 2023, I think it's too far to make assumptions. Right. Weather has been uh, good for for developments. We have been getting a lot of rains um, since October, and I think that will help uh, some recover for 2023, 2024, and beyond. Mm. Right. But uh, who can tell about uh, the weather? Uh, we are talking <laughs> about these numbers yeah. right now. But what if next year we have all the other events? Uh, we will have enough rains. We will have less severe winters in Brazil. You know, we, we, can, we can doubt anything, but we cannot write on a stone uh, for weather. I think it's, uh, it's been changing, globally changing. And it's uh, very difficult. I think people have uh, protections to, to those risks. Mm -hmm. uh, to avoid uh, unnecessary problems due to, to weather. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. Um, I think that was pretty comprehensive. Um, you covered a lot of ground there, and, which I appreciate. And I think I, I know our listeners appreciate, um, you know, we, um, we always want to talk numbers, I think, or we should always want to talk numbers. Uh, so, and, you know, a lot of people are sort of hesitant to put numbers out there. So I, I definitely appreciate that. Uh, so just a couple of quick things. Um, number one, uh, you mentioned about the frost and just uh, I just wanted to mention real quick how just how strange this was. I mean, for, for me, at least every year that I've been in coffee, people have talking about the frost in Brazil. And this is the first time it's ever actually been something serious. Right. You, you, you see it every year, too. Everyone freaks out in June, July. Oh, there's going to be a frost. There's going to be a frost. And, and it's always something tiny. Um, but I knew something was up when uh, when and, and you are a good skeptic. That's why one of the reasons I like you. <laughs> uh, you don't believe the hype. Uh, and when I saw that you were taking it seriously, I knew that it was something something big. Yeah, I, I made a, I made a, a mistake on the frost on the day on the day happened. I wake up five in the morning and I went to, to farms 
and we saw some uh, icy, um, uh, but then it was like melting and uh, leaves, they were not burned. I went to Tres Pontas, a nearby city in Virginia with a lot of coffee. Uh, I wasn't seeing anything uh, as a big problem. Mm. Uh, but And then I, I published, okay, I wake up, nothing's happening. But I heard about it before that frost, you need to give it time. Mm. You need to give it the afternoon time. You need to, to keep following it up on the, on the day. Uh, and when I was returning from Tres Pontas, I was already seeing brown leaves and what's happening. You know, the, the, the scenario is changing. Mm. So I, I, I went to LinkedIn and I put a, an uh, alert. Listen, uh, I published that nothing was happening. But now the figure is, uh, they are, they are changing the figures. Yeah. Uh, so, and it, and it, it was only getting worse, worse and worse. Uh, the occurrences, uh, being reported in Cerrado, South Minas. Uh, and then I started to, you know, be really worried of what's going on. Mm. Uh, and it was, uh, I mean, amazing to see that things, uh, change it quickly. Yeah, it was a very dramatic time in the coffee industry, right? I mean, I I had things I needed to do that week. You know, I had calls I needed to make and everything, and everything just stopped. You could not do anything except for talk about the frost for pretty much a week. I find find it, uh, how can I say, uh, in a loss of words, because, listen, if if we take the last two years, uh, we can certainly say uh, the, that this is sort of a black swan, you know, mm. swan, black swan. Uh, uh, who could, could have guessed about pandemic, about frost, about the dry period, about market doubling the prices, currencies right. in Brazil or the world getting crazy, inflation, logistics mm. chaos. I mean, it's too much. Yeah. <laughs> People say, oh, it's because... There is not enough coffee in the world. I mean, I don't, I don't agree with that. Mm. Uh, I like to say there will always be coffee, and uh, there will, all, and most of the time there will be not enough money. <laughs> uh, but uh, a lot of things happen, and, and yeah. the market reacted. That we are here now uh, in double prices, and uh, I mean, it's uh, totally amazing <laughs> to see it. It is, and 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 now <laughs> here like we are. But it's amazing. Yeah. Now here we are back uh, near 250 again. And um, I haven't seen this since, since 2010, 11. Um, so this has been been quite a wild ride. You touched on a lot of different things there. I wanted to come, come to some of it. One of them uh, in particular, I wanted to ask you about farmer sentiment. And um, the reason why is because of a few other things you mentioned. Number one is that you think we're closer to 75 million bags rather than 70 million bags. So that coffee must be in Brazil. And I would think the farmers must be aware of it. And also the real, one of our favorite <laughs> things we go back and forth with on, uh, is so weak, right? So it to me, I was always taught coming up as a trader, the Brazilian farmer looks at prices in, in real terms. And you know, when price when the real weakens, they get better prices. Um, but it seems like that's not what's happening now, right? Uh, I mean, this correlation between the currency and the market and uh, striking prices for producers, uh, on the daily basis, we, we barely see producers uh, worried about uh, real dollars. Mm. Uh, uh, I'll try to give you, just uh, from the last two years' perspective, 
local market has been a rock uh, since two years. Mm. Uh, it all started uh, when prices were close to 700 reais, right? Mm. Uh, that was the first psychological level producers had in mind. Uh, but then 700 became 1,000, 1,000 became 1,200, and now 1,500 is being discarded. People, yeah. they, they don't want to see, they don't want to sell uh, at these levels. Uh, you call it uh, because of uh, the frost, because of the, the perspectives for next year's, uh, but it, it's really tough to find bargains. You know, okay, this is a sale ticket. Producers, they, they think that they need to adjust their... Uh, stocks left to balance out what they will lo lose you know or what mm. they uh, lost already um, but uh, it's a little bit difficult to judge what's going to happen on the domestic market because we have some other forces you know new york goes up and sometimes the the prices in brazil they don't follow the same proportion because mm. of cash flow or because of a uh, not of a um, a lot of interest for the exporters. They are find it very hard to sell additional coffee overseas at current uh, differentials. So New York can go to, I don't know, it can go higher, uh, but that doesn't mean that uh, Brazil prices, domestic par, uh, prices will follow this, uh, the same speed mm. or the same proportion. Uh, so hoping or wanting higher prices uh, isn't that simple uh, for producers. Uh, of course, they will always want the highest price, but it's uh, it's uh, tricky. Yeah. Uh, um, exporters uh, are facing these double prices. Their credit lines uh, shrink because uh, the banks they don't say, okay, price is double. I'll give you double the credit lines that uh, for you to keep up with the market. Right. So that's also <laughs> doesn't happen. Um, so I don't know. There's inflations. A lot of things that uh, will. Uh, uh, go uh, against uh, uh, producers as well. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, they have been getting it right. We have to admit that they are yeah. uh, holding uh, on their stocks or, uh, or being very strong when mm. asking uh, prices. They, they have been the right ones. It's totally in their hands at the moment. It makes sense. Uh, I just say uh, this can last much longer. But they will always, uh, they, they need to think about the future when prices uh, invert and uh, we, we enter a bear market because that will happen for coffee. It's yeah. a commodity. It's uh, naive to think that prices will remain like this uh, forever. It can last long, but not uh, forever. Right. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Um, and, uh, that's one of the, the, that's the trick is, is, is determining when that's going to happen. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, if we only knew <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, we only have, uh, about 15 minutes left and we still have, uh, we have a lot of good things to cover. So I want to try to get to as much of it as we can. Um, so before we get to the coffee market crystal ball, which is my, my favorite, where you talk about, you give your, you wave your magic wand and you, uh, you give me your price predictions for the future. Um, but I, I did want to talk about the container shortages because that's something that's also been kind of new and, and sort of unique. You mentioned this sort of black swan events of all these things uh, coming together. Um, so what's the situation now with containers and do you see that uh, alleviating? Um, are you struggling to find that uh, um, for your customers? 
Well, uh, I don't think that the situation uh, has improved. Uh, we had some shipments on the break book uh, vessels that happened to alleviate a uh, uh, little bit of the burden. But all around, uh, uh, exporters, they, they complain to me, I have the booking, I have my coffee scheduled to ship. But then well, when we get closer to that date, then the company sometimes says, I don't have the container release for you. Mm. So they keep rolling, rolling and rolling the shipment. Uh, and as I said, the exporters, they have uh, financial commitments with banks. So it becomes a, a snowball. Uh, they, they don't get the money back and uh, they don't uh, fulfill their commitments. Uh, so it's very challenging. Uh, it generates uh, extra costs and yeah. not small costs mm. on top of a already challenging market. Uh, we are seeing this that in my opinion the logistics chaos let's call it the chaos it's one of the reasons uh, of a higher inflation mm. um, that's one of the key reasons for me to see inflation as it is right now and probably uh, it will keep rising uh, I don't I don't see that we are finished with the inflation and logistics mm. uh, but we, we we are still here exporters managed so far uh, I'm glad to see that people managed to, to, to survive until now yeah. all of these uh, uh, challenges. And I think um, for next year, even if we don't have a solution in hands, mm. people already uh, learned a little bit how to, to play with it. Right. They kind of learned how to manage uh, in, the, in yeah. the difficult time. All right. Uh, all right. So before we get into... Um, price i did want to talk to you about the brl because this is something that i struggle to to predict currencies well <laughs> um i have a better sense on what the us dollar is going to do um but the real has been a struggle for me um uh, because i i basically you know i've been thinking oh okay strong interest rates you know the central banks raising them up you know rapidly that should control inflation that should you know improve the real um and that that hasn't really happened uh, i mean in fact it, it hasn't happened um and um you know you and i have chatted about this before and i said oh i, I think the real is going to turn around because it's interest rate uh and you've been right you said no i don't i don't think so it's uh it's going to weaken so what's your view on the real now going forward are we near a top you know do you think we're going to turn around finally or is it going to keep going the other way? And what do you look at to try to make those evaluations, those judgments? Well, uh, earlier in the year, when it broke below the five mark, I uh, was thinking, what's really going on? It didn't make sense to me. Hmm. Uh, for the moment, probably uh, for some economists, I'm not an economist. And if you ask the, the most uh, reputable economists, probably um, uh, nine out of 10 times, they will be wrong about currencies. They, they prefer... <laughs> not to talk about it, especially the Brazilian real. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't know. Uh, I think that we had many, many uh, difficulties in Brazil before the pandemic on uh, change of governments. Um, I didn't think that the investors, uh, they had uh, certainties about the Brazilian economy. And unfortunately, as a Brazilian, we are always uh, or always try to be prepared for the worst. Mm. We always uh, on and on, we get frustrated about government party A or party B. Sure. At the end, it's always uh, the same. Uh, so I saw the deterioration of uh, the currency 
uh, I was uh, working with it. When it hit the five mark, I was like, uh, I'm, I'm more like six than five. Mm. Uh, not that I'm the, the expert. No, it's not, not that. It's just that I was seeing some uh, things in Brazil, bad data uh, from people that I know, from, um, from our own small economies in each uh, location of Brazil. It was mm. always the same conversation. Um, rare to see people uh, uh, prospering, you know, and uh, the government didn't, uh, didn't do what they uh, said that they will do for the economy. We had a lot of faith in the Minister of Economy that proved to be uh, more of the same. Yeah. Uh, and the market, uh, the, the, the money flow reacted to that. Mm. And then there, they came the, pan the pandemic. So I'm not saying that it's a 100% fault on Brazilian government. It's not. Right. It's a part of also the pandemic that hit uh, global markets, global currencies. Uh, so it helped to, to deteriorate the, the Brazilian real. And if you ask me, what do you think about uh, next year? We have elections. Uh, you, you, if you go uh, uh, back when Lula was running for elections, when uh, he managed to be elected, mm. you saw what happened to the currency. And some polls, uh, they are showing Lula as a very uh, possible uh, 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 victory for, for his party. Yeah. So I don't know what can happen until there. Uh, I can just say that the volatility will also remain for the Brazilian real. Mm -hmm. And I don't discard the six. Some people even say seven. But uh, for that to happen, I think uh, we still need some more other surprises, bad surprises to happen. <laughs> uh, it can happen, of yeah. course. But uh, I'm more like six. I'm still more like six compared to, to five. Yeah. Well, it looks like we're getting pretty close to that. So we might, we might see it. Um, yeah. All right. And uh, uh, one final thing. Um, and I think this can be a quick question before we go jump into price. Um, so where are we now with the, with the flowering and the setting and everything? Um, I know that we're saying that uh, January is really the best time, I think, to to go out there and really do proper crop counting and get a good number. But I know people you've mentioned some good numbers, and I know several other people have, have started to put numbers on it. So where are we now in the in the harvest, um, or rather in the crop cycle, and 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 what do we well, see? The thing, the thing about uh, crop estimates, people expect you to say something. Right. Uh, the best timing to say anything would be at the end of January, middle February. Mm. But people, they don't want to, to make plans uh, just when they have the, the, the final information, right? They want right. to be prepared. They want to make their strategy. So they expect you to say something. So there's uh, the research uh, going in, going on. Mm. Um, so after the flowering that uh, proved to be uh, more visually good than physically uh, good, yeah. uh, we are seeing some developments. Uh, as I said, the rains mm. are contributing for the, the beans to develop. Uh, it was a late, uh, more or less late flowering. So that's why some of the beans, they might look smaller than it should. Right. But we need to give it uh, another month or an extra month and a half to say uh with less uh, less errors right yeah <laughs> but it's uh i think it's uh, still uh on the right path with the with the, the rains uh okay. but i would put justin uh an alert 
not to be too uh, optimistic about next year's crop. I'm not saying it's going to be a catastrophe. I, I don't like that. I don't, right. I don't think that. That's not my personal view. But as I said, uh, I think the crop will be less favorable than it should be. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think that's that's what I've been hearing as well. Um, I know there, there were several other <coughs> large trade houses and banks who were looking at that 65 number before too. <clears throat> I know at least one of them uh, will probably be coming down. Um, we'll see, you know, people have been talking about uh, Rabobank's number, um, but we'll see if that comes down. I don't know um, if they're going to be able to maintain that, uh, that high number. Um, but I think, I think, I think that, uh, I think that everyone was kind of not everyone, but a lot of people were looking at it more of a 65 number, um, before, and, and now it's sort of gradually becoming clear that that's not gonna, that that's not gonna happen. Uh, so finally, now that we're to the conclusion of our, our program, uh, what do you, what do you think for price? You, you, you're not afraid to, to, to say your views. So what's, uh, what's your outlook on price over the next few well, months or a year? The market has accelerated a lot. Right, uh, it doubled prices in a, let's say short period of time. Mm. Uh, it totally makes sense after everything that happened. Uh, we always need to weigh the fundamentals that they will always prevail over algos, over technicals. Uh, there's the fundamental that uh, is king. Mm. Uh, if you ask me, uh, from what I see, I don't think that uh, we saw the, the highs printed yet. Okay, but uh, what, what what are you a three uh, market a three fifty? No, I'm not saying that. Um, I just think that uh, we still have some uh, highs to be made. Yep. Uh, not being super prices explosive. Uh, that will depend on the next year crop. Uh, if it's proven to be less than needed for a comfortable S and D, then we should be prepared to see uh, even higher levels. Mm. Uh, but uh, as you said, I don't like hypes. I don't like to say something that didn't happen before I really see it or before I'm close of seeing it. Um, so on the same time that I think that the market can still uh, uh, find some straight to go higher, uh, it's uh, we need to pay attention because holding too long above whatever high it makes will be another thing to pay attention uh, because mm. the demand destruction for me, it already started happening at current levels. So I don't think that uh, being sustainable uh, above the highs is something that can uh, can last uh, too long. You know? Right. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Um, and uh, it's a, a very reasonable uh, outlook. And I think that um, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but I guess we're only going to know uh, in the next few months uh, as, it, as it comes out. Um, but thanks so much, Jago. It was a pleasure uh, getting to chat with you again, and um, you know, hearing your insights on the market and and, and what you're doing now. Um, so yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for your time and interest from hearing from 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 me. And uh, whatever you need, you know, uh, and everyone knows uh, where to reach out to me. Sounds good. All right. Thanks so much. Have a good day. All right. Thank you for joining our Coffee Trading Academy podcast. Check out the website and subscribe to receive our free and premium coffee market reports. That's www.coffeetradingacademy.com.
coffeetradingacademy.com. Again, coffeetradingacademy.com. Good luck with your trading, everyone. This is Ryan Delaney, your Coffee Price Chris Ninja here, signing off. Thank you.